it's not easier to be no. bi. Like, if I could be, like, within, like, a binary or whatever, like, that we've, society has, like, taught us to be with, like, confined to, it would make my life so much easier. But, oops, mm-hmm. I, I can't be confined. That should be the title of my memoir. Like, can't be confined. Like, a Vishal Reddy mm-hmm. story. Because that's my life in a nutshell. Hello, and welcome to Two Bye Guys. I'm Rob. I'm here without Alex, one bye guy today, but I have a second bye guy with me. He is an actor, singer, performer, writer. He has an awesome web series called Insomnia that he wrote and stars in and features a lot of bisexual content. Please welcome Vishal Reddy. Hello! Thank you so much for having me. How's it going? Very good, you know. As good as can be during this whole pandemic but we're moving forward how are you i'm well same i'm good like i'm alive i have a pulse i'm breathing occasionally um and i think that's really all i can ask for at this point whenever i talk to people about how they're doing they're like how they're, they kind of <laughs> look at me like puzzling and they're like how am i doing like in this like minute you just you just don't know Every day is different. Yeah, it changes every day. And like, I loved your web series. Like you did that work a couple years ago, finished it, put it out last year, and then pandemic happened. I mean, let's just get into this part of it now. How's your work going since the pandemic? Do you have any motivation to do stuff? Is it, it's hard for me. It depends on the day, I think. So at the beginning of the pandemic, the minute, I'm in New York. So the minute that like theater shut down, I knew that it was it was this was going to be something for a little bit. And so I booked a ticket back home um, to Tennessee where I'm from. And so mm-hmm. I was with my parents for five months and like the the family down there. So, Whoa. yeah, it, uh, I haven't lived at home since I graduated, like wh- like when since I went to college when I was 18. So it had been a long time to spend with like my family. Um, for the first month, I actively tried to work and then I went, you know what? I'm going to take care of my mental health and I am not going to do anything. Um, I can't create anything. What the fuck am I going to say? There's nothing interesting right now other than like doom and gloom. So I tried. And then now I've started writing again and like I've been doing lots of Zoom play and musical readings, um, which are honestly like, I hate them, unfortunately. Like (laughs) I'll probably get like dragged for that. I just hope this isn't like all that exists in the future. I hope we get back to real live theater. Fingers crossed. So before we get back to talking about TV and theater and your web series, I want to start with your bisexual journey, if in fact that is the word you use to identify. So so how do you identify? Why, Why do you identify that way? And tell us about like growing up, when and how you became aware of your sexuality Mm -hmm. and like, what was that development like for you? Yeah, so I I do identify as bisexual, but I have realized that I do use queer and bisexual like interchangeably, um, depending Mm -hmm. on the room and depending on like whether I feel like I have to explain myself to people because, you know, that happens a lot with, you know, being anything other than straight or gay, yeah. which we'll, we can get into. But I've sort of always known. I grew up in Tennessee. I'm a first-generation Indian American, and so queerness, any sort of LGBTQIA plus related content or upbringing isn't necessarily valued, I think, as it's... Or it necessarily talked about as much, especially 
you know, in the early 90s and things. So I grew up in a very conservative, <laughs> very white, small town in East Tennessee. And my parents were great in that it was more of like a, hey, you are definitely Indian, even though you are American, but you're not going to forget your culture. And so they instilled that sense of just like, this is how wonderful your culture is. We're going to send you to India every single summer. You're going to be immersed in the language. You're going to make sure that you like you you have a good relationship with your cousins. So huh. it was through like going to India and starting to see what other people did over there and how affection is different. Like two men holding hands in India is not considered queer as it would be here or people wouldn't question it it is just a sign of friendship and i remember when i was like six i saw two men holding hands and i went huh that's curious what's going on there and then i also watched a ton of bollywood movies and bollywood movies are very queer like they are they are so inherently queer and dramatic and just they're wonderful but it's very the old stuff is very very campy and i was like oh these women are fierce. These men are hot. Like, what is what is all of this? And so that's honestly, it was through film that I kind of developed my like, oh, wait a second. Something feels different here. Interesting. And then I think when I was like 10 or 11, I kind of like knew. And it was also around that time that I kind of came to my parents. I came out as like an actor to my parents. And I was like, <laughs> I like w- walked over to them and like had a presentation prepared and was just like, yeah, I'm going to do this for the rest of my life. And I don't know how. But it's it's good. It's, it, this is it. Like, I want to perform. And so I kind of set myself up for that and then slowly started coming out. I also don't like the term coming out because it's this, mm-hmm. it's sort of this, it makes it this like huge deal when like it should just be something that is a part of a person, but not the only thing. Yeah. So I didn't really have like a big coming out. I like kind of just like told my parents, I was like, yeah, I'm dating a guy. And they're like, oh, let's unpack that. And I was like, well, this is what it is. And that's kind of it. And that was kind of the the end of it. And it's something that I think we're still figuring out or they're still figuring out and developing and, you know, being comfortable with. But, you know, I have to let them have that time. And then my show came out and they were like, ah, he's doing it. This is it. So before that, did you use the word bisexual with them? Or like, Mm -mm. did you just say you're dating a guy and they left them to sort of interpret whatever they wanted? Yeah, I think that's what I did. And I think for the longest time, because I was still figuring it out. And it really wasn't until my like early 20s, like my senior year of college that I was kind of like, I'd only dated women up until that point. But I think I always knew that I was interested in men as well. And Uh I remember my like senior year of college, I was like, I need to explore this side of myself. And so... I like I, I don't I think Grinder was like a new thing then, but like Craigslist was a thing, and yeah. so I remember going on Craigslist and like finding somebody, and we went on a date. Like that's how like that was like the first guy that I went on a date with, and it was so much fun. And I was like, ah, yes, I'm into this. And so slowly but surely, that's kind of how it manifested itself. But Interesting. I'm also a performer, so like you're constantly surrounded by queerness, and you're constantly surrounded by people discovering things about themselves and and coming to terms with a lot of stuff so like that was really interesting to see other people do it and then really hone in on like who they are and I was like I feel I don't feel like myself like why is this and so you kind of unpack it that way there is I was gonna ask there is this stereotype of like being a performer or actor and that being related to queerness in some way that like when you came out as an actor Mm -hmm. that like that might lead to something queer is that just a stereotype or like what is there any actual connection about being a performer, embodying some character and like coming to understand 
you know, openness or fluidity in yourself. Okay, well, I'll disclaim this by saying, contrary to popular belief, I am not a psychologist or a psychiatrist. So I don't know what I, if I, what I'm about to say makes any sense or if there's any sort of science behind this. However, mm-hmm. I do think that as performers, to be a good performer, you have to have em- empathy. And I find that queer people, because we face and battle so much just with our sexualities internally, that when we start to be a bit more open with ourselves and we start to be um, more open to others about what we are um, and who we are, we, we have to have empathy. And I think like those traits go hand in hand with one another. Yeah. I find that most actors are pretty, especially queer actors are all pretty empathetic. And, you know, I think that's, I think that's the key there. I think that makes a lot of sense. So you grew up in a pretty conservative area mm-hmm. and it sounds like you had a decent experience coming out quote to your parents what about other people that you grew up with? Have you talked to them about it? Have they seen the web series? Like, have you encountered biphobia or have people been pretty accepting since you've been officially identifying as bi? Yeah, I think I've, I've had a good amount of luck in that for the most part, people have been really, really wonderful about it. And again, like I didn't have the typical coming out process. Like I didn't go to all my friends and say, hey, I'm bisexual now, or I'm queer now. Like, this is, let me explain myself. Did I have that script in my head for years? Absolutely. I did that whole thing where, like, you're telling people in the mirror constantly, and you're like, okay, well, what if I say it this way? Or what if they react this way? You just, you drive yourself crazy doing that. And so I did that, and then I think when I first got to New York, I started dating a guy in, like, secret, because I still was, I think I had almost figured it out, but (laughs) I hadn't. And um, I remember then I was like, oh, I need to start telling people. I want to start telling people. And so mm-hmm. that's what like led me to it. And I just sort of like would casually just like <laughs> drop it into conversation. I would sort of just be like, yeah, I, I, like work was this. And I did this reading and then, oh, yeah, I'm like having sex with a man now. <laughs> like, what? you know, just <laughs> casually put that. And for the most part, people were really wonderful and cool and all my friends didn't care and with family and stuff it's it's been really interesting because I think it's it's still a continual process and that like everybody knows like they all know but they don't ask questions until like or they won't ask questions until I bring some like someone home Uh that's serious and whether that is I don't know who that will be so I think there'll be more questions then but right now they're just like look He's living his life. He's happy. Yeah. You know, that's all he can ask for. I have encountered a good amount of biphobia, which is always fun. It's always a fun topic of conversation. Can you clock the questions that people are going to ask already? Like, there's like four questions that everyone is like, you know, like, which one do you prefer? Like, do you see yourself with one or the other? Are you sure you're not gay? Oh, yeah. And let me follow this up. Are you sure you're not gay? Yeah. Right? Yep. My my doctor even asks me every time I go in, so are you still bisexual? Stop. I'm like, yes, and I like you and you're my doctor, but I'm going to be bisexual the rest of the time. <laughs> this person's white, right? Yeah. Yep. There it is. <laughs> <laughs> not to, yep. there's no there's no correlation between being biphobic and white like don't again don't come for me yes but i will say the most biphobia i actually thought women were going to be like that was what i was most when i started da- yeah. dating and like openly and out i was like god what are women gonna think about this and then i realized that they were really really cool but it was white cis gay men that were the ones yeah. that always had 
questions and always had like sort of a a preconceived notion about it or like an aversion or a fear to asking questions. And I'm somebody who like, ask me questions, like don't, don't be rude. Yeah. Yeah. It actually happened a couple months ago, uh, a couple weeks ago, actually. What happened? Someone, this is also like on Zoom. I had gone into like a, you know that app house party? Yeah. That So a friend of mine invited me to like a hangout or whatever. And I met some of his friends and I, it got like brought up that I was, that I was by. And, um, one of the guys who's a white cis gay man, like did air quotes around bisexual. And then uh-huh. my friend who was in the chat just went, Oh no, no, no. Vishal's not the one. Like he's not the one to like make those comments to. Yeah. And then I just sat him down and I just said here, okay, here's my dissertation of what, why what you said is wrong. Cause now I can just do it quickly and educate and bless them with lots of knowledge, if you will. Yeah. But Good for you. yeah, I don't, it's bullshit. Like I don't tolerate it anymore. Yeah. If you were asking out of like, earnestness great i'm happy to have the conversation but if you're being petty or like spewing like vitriol absolutely not i don't have time for that i'm too grown we're too grown for that like it's not cute you know i agree i love answering questions about my bisexuality when the questions are earnest Mm -hmm. and and over and over in gay male spaces i've found that you know sometimes the questions are earnest but very often the questions are like trying to prove a point and most of the time that point is that you're really gay you're not really bi and and i think it's because so many gay men maybe thought about identifying as bi or went through that yeah um and they think everyone else is like them or that you know they don't have this experience and just it's so invisible that they don't believe it's real and that they think it's easier to be bi. Yeah, no, and, like, that's the other thing, too, is that, like, it's not, <laughs> it's not easier to be no. bi. Like, if no. I, it, it, if I could be, like, a you know, within, like, a binary or whatever, like, that we've, 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 society has, like, taught us to be with, like, confined to, it would make my life so much easier, but oops, mm-hmm. I, I can't be confined. That should be the title of my memoir, like, Can't Be Confined, like, a Vishal okay. story, because that's like my it. life in a nutshell. Have you had like a weird, a couple of like, what's the worst experience that you've had with not to bring up anything traumatic, but what? I mean, I, I think like I, I was at a party, like a gay party bef- right before the pandemic. And like n- none of the guys there believed that bisexuality was real. Um, and there were like no women at the party. It was just men. And they just kept constantly asking me stuff. Was this um, recent? This was in like December. Yeah, absolutely not. Yeah. That's fine. Um, I mean, I mean, I dealt with it enough that it didn't like ruin my night. And I just it just made me think less of the people who were asking me those yeah. questions. Like I'm confident enough in it now. But I think when I encountered that stuff earlier and especially before I came out, when I heard that stuff not directed at me, but just overheard it, that I really internalized. Actually, mm. one of the one of the things I that was like a traumatizing experience was I was in the writer's room of Law and Order and somebody senior in the writer's room, we were writing about a guy who's married to a woman who goes out at night to look for gay sex. Mm-hmm. And we called him gay in the episode. And, you know, now I would kind of fight to call this guy by because he loved his wife. He had kids. Everything was good, mm-hmm. except he wanted non-monogamy. 
And the senior writer said, like, you know, once you suck a dick, you're gay. And everyone laughed and agreed and kind of moved on. And I laughed and agreed, too, because I wasn't in a place yet to mm-hmm. to say something. And then I just thought about that sentence over and over for years. And it was difficult. Because yeah. then I was like, well, I might want to suck a dick, but I don't think I'm gay. But this was a person above, you know, above me in a position of authority saying that. And it, it was hard to break out of that. Yeah, I, yeah, I've been in those, same, I've been in those experiences yeah. before. And you look back on those experiences and you're kind of like, God, now I have like the best clap back. Like I have something <laughs> that would just be so fucking great and right. so funny and it would kill and it would also shut them up, but then also hopefully like educate them. Yeah, I don't know. I, you seem much nicer than me. I don't, <laughs> you seem very, very lovely. I just I don't. I don't have a lot of time for it anymore. Like, I think I used to, and now I'm to a point where I think because I'm just very secure with it, that if if things come up or if I see some sort of injustice, if you will, with this stuff, I don't necessarily mince words. My friend once told me that I have this ability to make people feel bad with like a smile on my face. And so I, which is horrifying. That's like the sign of a sociopath, I think. But I try to be as diplomatic as I can. But when people are actively rude, I don't have time for it. But if they don't realize it, then it's like, is it our job to say something? Or, you know, is it our job to educate people? Or is it not on us? So... It's hard. It's it's a little bit on us because if it's not, then who else is going to do it? But it's also like you can't walk around being the representative of all bisexual people your whole life. No, that, that's not and, fair either. No. And we and I also like this is I'm only I can only talk about my own experience. Like I can't judge what other people are going through. And like a lot of people make those comments just out of like insecurity. And I'm sure there was something more deeper there than like that joke. Yeah. But I'm glad that you had that experience because now, you know, yeah. How to react. Yeah, well, and and it's been inspiring for my work to put that into writing and to, you know, if I think of that comeback later, write about it and shut them up in the script, which is in a way what you've done with Insomnia. So let's talk about your show. You mentioned this biphobia and all these questions you get. You actually had a montage in the second episode of basically everyone on dates asking you all these biphobic questions, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. which I loved. Let's set the scene a little. So Insomnia is about you star and you wrote it. It's about a character named Nikhil who is an escort for both men and women. Mm -hmm. And what I really loved about it the most is that you mentioned bisexuality in the first episode, but it's not the storyline of the first episode. It's just Mm -hmm. um, it's mentioned that the character is bi. And then in the second episode, you sort of tackle it a little more head on with this montage of biphobic questions on dates. But again, the episode is not about that in the end. And then it also becomes part of some other episodes. And then other episodes, it's not even mentioned at all. And it's not part of the story. So you really like found a way to make it part of the story, but not the entire story and not the focus. So Tell us a little about just how you came up with the idea, where it came from, the writing process, and like putting in these bisexual themes without making it 100% about that. Yeah. Um, first of all, thank you. That's very, very sweet of you. Um, the show kind of came 
it kind of came about by accident. Um, and I've talked about this like online and stuff before because everyone's like, well, how'd you get the idea? Like, is it autobiographical? And I've said that like 40% of it is based off of me and then like 60% of it is very much made up. And so uh-huh. I, like I said, I've always been an actor like that's always just been the goal and so like I was like I think I was like acting singing and dancing out of the womb like it's like everything that I have wanted to do and I remember in high school my drama teacher Miss Smart who is one of those teachers that was just like so formative for me like growing up and she kind of took three people under her wing and she was just kind of like I want you to know that because you're Indian at this point in time it's going to be your blessing but it's going to be your curse this might take you a while. And I mm-hmm. remember thinking, uh, I'm gonna, I'm, I remember taking that advice very seriously and like keeping it very close to my heart. And so when I got to New York, I quickly realized that she was right in that like my college theater bubble that I was in, just playing whatever parts I could get. I realized that like, that's just, you know, I, not how the industry works. Uh-huh. The parts for an Indian person or South Asian people are a few far in between. It's gotten a lot better, but even now there's still so much work that has to be done, but there's been a lot of progress. But at the time, I wanted to go in for parts that my white counterparts were going in for that had depth and were interesting and dynamic instead of these like bit parts with like stereotypes. And so I was tr- like chugging along and um, there was like a month where I for whatever reason the universe did this to me i was in like final callbacks for like three broadway shows and like two tv shows and was like cool one of these are gonna land and i was like really excited about all of them and uh i found out within a week that i lost all of them like they they went to somebody else which is horrifying and i think i was i think i was 26 at that point like i just turned 26 i was I was really sad because like I I felt like I had failed and so I actually quit. I quit for a month and I was like, I don't want to do this anymore. And then I think after a lot of complaining to my friends, my good friend of mine was like, why don't you just make something? Like, go write something. And I was like, I've never written. Like, I don't know how to do that. And he was like, just go do it. Like, you complain about all of this so much. Like, go and actually try to change something. And so I started writing anything that I could and knew I wanted to tell a story about a bisexual person and mental health. That's all I sort of knew. I knew Mm -hmm. that as an Indian person, as a bisexual person, mental health is extremely important to South Asian people, but it's something that is still very taboo to talk about. Uh And we like to sweep everything under the rug. And so I knew that that was really important to me because I wanted it to be something new and different. And I knew that for the Indian characters that it centers around, I was like, I just want them to be and just be able to like, just be able to like brush their teeth on camera. Like that, like, I mean, or like go to the grocery store. Like, I know that's like the simplest thing in the world, but like, we don't ever get to just, just do simple tasks. It's always rooted in some sort of like stereotype or, or caricature. And so I started writing and then I went to a bar one night and I had been trying to figure out what this character's secret was going to be because I got feedback on a script being like, he, like, there's nothing, like, what is this? Like, he doesn't have a secret. And I was like, okay, mm-hmm. let me think. So I shifted through a lot of things. And then when I went to a bar, um, a guy came up to me and asked me if I wanted to be an escort. And he was like, uh-huh. I, he ran a, ran a little agency. And like, he was like, there's a lot of people that want like us, like an Indian person huh. as like a fetish and would you be interested? And I genuinely thought it was my friends just like fucking with me because like these are the kinds of people I surround myself with. Just um, a bunch of lovable assholes who are just very sarcastic and, and I love them. But I was like, oh, this is a joke. 
And I said, you know what? I'm good. Thank you so, so much. Um, that's very flattering, but I think I'm good. And he, before he walked away, he was like, you know what? You're right. Indian people don't do this kind of stuff. And I went, oh, that microaggression, that's his character's secret. Because like, as an Indian actor, like I would never get to go in for a part like this. So it kind of, the series was created in a way of like, what things don't I get to do as a performer? And then how can we make them new, interesting and fresh for like new people, but also tie in little Indian things, language, cultural things that only Indian people are going to get and not explain yeah. them. And so that yeah. was sort of the the goal of it. Awesome. Well, it's really successful and it's, the show turned out great. I mean, it looks really really awesome and it's really clever and it moves fast and so you guys did a great job i don't know if you had a big budget but you made it seem like you did so if you didn't you stretched it very well we Um, yeah we only shot it for like fifty eight thousand dollars about wow like the whole thing so like 10 per episode well not even like we that fifty eight thousand like included like post pre-pro cast crew Mm -hmm. but then also like press our like premiere party like we were we got we were pulling favors like we were just really lucky that a lot of people believed in it and were excited about it and so it was really like a labor of love how long did it take to shoot just curious six days six days the whole yeah we shot almost 70 pages in six days oh my god that's insane yeah we just did 12 hour days wow it was like very efficient yeah i was gonna say you wrote it very economically and you must have shot it efficiently because like you have so many locations and characters in that short a time. Wow. Yeah. I'm even more impressed now. Oh, geez. Yeah. I mean, I just, I just knew that I needed to pack a lot of information in, but also make it seem very natural. And like, like the story is told from this character was one character's like vantage point, but I wanted people to see the peripheral characters that sort of make up the world that he's in, but still make it very much his story. And, um, I'm proud of it. Cool. Yeah. Cool. Well, I loved it. So I want to dig into some of that. You mentioned like the little references to Indian culture, Mm -hmm. which I thought made it seem very real, even when I didn't get the reference. So like I didn't get the reference to the Indian serials, but it made me kind of think that that episode might have some similar thematic elements. Can you tell me what that means and how the serials influence the show? And also like the next episode with the pretty racist couple, like is that stuff you've encountered? Like how did you decide what to put into the show? Yeah, so I had written this as a pilot to start and we had pitched it to a couple of like networks and they were kind of like, you're not a name, get out of Mm -hmm. our faces. And I went, okay, fair give me a year and I'll show you like what I can do. And so then from there I took the pilot and um, I think the all, there are only two scenes in the pilot that made it into this one. So I wrote new stuff and it's the opening like sex scene, the star Wars sex scene that was in the pilot. And then mm-hmm. the scene with my friends was actually in the pilot. Mm-hmm. And so I knew that, at least with the escorting stuff, I knew that I wanted to show three different kinds of stuff. I knew that I wanted it to be like a boyfriend experience, an actual like sexual encounter. And then I knew that I wanted there to be something with like sex and race because sometimes in sex, these questions and these comments come up more than you think. And Uh you have to sit down and have these conversations. And sometimes it's it's, it's as blatant as like what happens in the episode. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, And that was inspired from like my own experience, but also like friends who have had, like, very explicit encounters with people that, like, 
those words were said to them. Which words for those who haven't seen it? There's a reference to, uh, there's a threesome with a white couple, like a very sort of young, wealthy white couple. And um, they, in the midst of an act, call the main character a towelhead, which is an extremely offensive term. And that has happened to a couple of my friends. Yeah. And um, not to me directly, but like a couple of my friends. And so I knew that that was important to talk about. And in terms of the Indian things, like, yeah, we there's a little like religious iconography that's in the show that we don't really talk about. But like, if you're Indian, you know the gods that we're talking about. Like Ganesh, the, uh-huh. the god sort of makes a... A quite an appearance throughout the series and there's little like easter eggs in there then there's a scene with my friends and there's like an old bollywood movie playing in the background that like you can't really see in the final cup but like it's there and you kind of hear the music and mm. even in that scene there's little indian things that me and my friends say to one another that like it's just how me and my friends interact with one another there's indian food like i speak telugu which is the language that my parents speak in like their state and what i grew up like listening to and speaking so there's like little things in there that we i put in on purpose so that you know indian people can get it and also just feel seen and be like we're not going to explain this to anyone else like we don't need to the indian cereal comment was indian soap operas are called cereals and so they are truly the most dramatic things in the world like i if i wish i could show you this is <laughs> podcasting is not a visual medium i forget but <laughs> they're they are even more dramatic than the ones that we have here and so we when we when we reference those it's in like it's in a reference to like familial drama that's happening with the main character so yeah yeah i like that and i i loved the racist couple episode like how it built up to that place like mm-hmm. there were these little microaggressions leading up to it mm-hmm. and it felt it just felt very real of like how racism works i just felt bad that i had to i asked my friends to say those things i remember sending that script to both of them and i was like i'm truly so sorry that i am i'm going to make you say these things um <laughs> yeah. and also have like simulated sex um <laughs> in not a lot of clothing so like and th- that was actually my those are my first sex scenes i've never done a sex scene before wow. and so like when we got on set i was understandably like sort of nervous but i'm also like i couldn't be i couldn't appear nervous because it's it's like it's my fault like it's truly You're my asking fault asking them to do it yeah and i also wrote it and right. so it's literally it's just like there's no one to blame but me i noticed that that episode has the most views aside from the pilot possibly because of does the it thumb- actually yeah because I, I i just surmised it's because of the thumbnail photo of the three of you half naked i mean that's fair knows. that's fair my co-stars are very wonderful smart and attractive human beings um so prob i'm sure i'm sure yeah. So you mentioned like wanting to write about mental health, mm. which I think is awesome. And we've been we did an episode on that a couple of weeks ago. We've been trying to talk more about that because because as we talked about earlier, it's not easy to be by. The studies actually show that it's uniquely difficult. So I'm curious. It's like, so hard it, sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> yes. You, you had a support group episode or a scene in, mm-hmm. in a support group for insomnia. Yeah. Yeah. I'm wondering like. How much of that is based on reality? What's What mental health challenges have you faced in your life? How much of that did you put in? Like, what comes from your life and what doesn't? Yeah, oddly enough, I've never, I've never actually experienced insomnia. But when I was thinking about 
the title, I could not figure out what I wanted to call the show because I wanted something that sort of dealt with mental health, but then also dealt with like something that was sort of um, a play off of night and like escorting and, you know, Mm. the things that happen at night. And so I settled on insomnia because I was like, insomnia can be caused by trauma. And this character is dealing with a lot of mental health and trauma. Um, I won't give it away so people can uh, watch it. So please keep streaming it. And so I knew that once I figured out the title, I was like, oh, this makes sense because insomnia is can be a byproduct of like mental health struggles of trauma and also this character's escorting and he's out at night a lot and that right. you know and he's also finding that like his escorting while a secret it sort of is what's giving him the freedom to like be and he starts to sort of harness that like oh i'm good at this and i'm actually becoming the person that i used to be after these like traumatic events so for me mental health has been a journey it's i mean it's still a goddamn journey i've struggled with depression I like I like very severe depression. I actually just started taking antidepressants and that was part of my like beginning of quarantine was like oh wow being at home and I actually got depressed and my mom and dad were like what's wrong with you? Like why are you? And I was like cool. When I had brought this up before with them, they were like you're fine. Like don't worry mm-hmm. about it. Like just mm-hmm. like don't think about it. Like you're everything's fine. We'll we'll like take care of you. And I was like, no, there's there's a chemical imbalance in my brain. And so one of the very like lovely things that happened when I was at home was my parents actually got to see me go through like a, a two week depression. And I was like, this is what happens to me half the year. And I don't know why. Like I have a lovely life and I'm in a tough industry and in a tough city. And a lot of that can weigh you down. And so it was because of them seeing that and also having very honest conversations that I, you know, got on antidepressants and I've been, it's changed my life. Like, you know, I know medication's not for everyone, but like it has changed my life. And also talking to other Indian people, especially if they are from India and coming over here, a lot of my family's friends, whenever they'd be like, why are you depressed? Like, it's still very, it's still very like, don't talk about this, like what's going on. And I've just become very open and honest about it. And so I'm very happy that I put it into the show just because I think I had been depressed for like five years and didn't address it until yeah. recently. And I went through my my mid twenties, just depressed the entire time and did and could not figure out why I was like so sad. And yeah. um, now that I have done that with a combination of therapy it has it truly has changed my life and so i am very vocal about it and you know a part of like south asian mental health organizations and like work with them on things just because like i can't express to you enough like how how often it's just not talked about and how people don't want to talk about it because there's a perception that all your problems are your own and you shouldn't talk about them and that you should appear to be perfect and like there's no problems in your life and that all is well and I have friends that are the same way. They still carry on that mentality. And I am very much not like that. And so it can be, it can cause friction with family sometimes and friends, but um, I don't really care anymore. Good. I know exactly what you mean. And I think that's great that you put it in. Like the more we talk about it, the better, because there is so, there's so much stigma around it. And there's so much like, don't admit 
anything if you go to therapy it means something's wrong with you but remember but when no. that was a thing when like oh when, oh my i know so many people that still think that's really the way it is. i feel oh, like yeah. i've surrounded myself with people that like and especially being in new york everyone's in therapy like well that's literally, true that's true it's literally when you say you're going to like you're, you have like you're seeing your therapist it's like yeah i'm gonna go get that scone like that's yeah. literally what yeah. it is yeah but i remember growing up and hearing a family friend say that they were going to therapy and I remember like just being like, Oh, are you okay? What's wrong with them? And they're like, yeah. Yeah, yeah, we're good. Like this is, this is good. Yeah. I tell my entire family on a daily basis that they need to be in therapy, they don't listen, but um, they should. Do you have much of a queer community in New York? Do you have a specific bisexual community? I do have a large queer community in New York city, which is very, very great, but I'm always looking to grow that community, um, especially like queer people of color. I'm always looking for more queer people of color in my life. I, I actually don't have a, I, I don't have a ton of bisexual people in my life now that I'm like thinking about it. Every person is kind of on various identifiers or non-identifiers, but not a ton of um, bisexual people. I'm looking, I'm always looking for those people. Um, there's a large queer South Asian population, which is really, really great. And they have been wonderful. And I am sort of still getting to know so many people because it's, it's a much larger community than like I actually thought. And so with Insomnia, it's kind of opened my world up to all of them, which has been so great and so, so cool. But yeah, it's lovely. It's really nice. I'm very lucky that I've got, you know, that kind of community, but I'm still cultivating it. It's, it's like a, yeah. it's a work in progress. You're kind of always, yeah. I, I've heard this thing where like, I turned 30 at the end of this year and they say like, well, after you turn 30, you like don't make new friends. And I'm like, I think that I'm going to do the opposite. I think I'm going yeah. to make so many more friends while I'm in my thirties because I actually am finally who I fucking want to be. Yeah. And like, I don't really apologize for it anymore. Yeah. And all my little quirks and insecurities, like, I just address them. And so I think it's a much more fun, it's, it's so much more fun right now. So I'm, I'm excited yeah. to meet more people. So there's a lot more bisexuality in media the last couple of years on TV, on streaming. Mm-hmm. There still could be more because I think bisexuality is much more prevalent than most people think it is. What are some of your favorite uh, representations of bisexuality in TV or film recently? Do yeah, you have any? I mean, I think the first one that I remember in Hollywood was Archie Punjabi on The Good Wife. Like, I remember that was, like, one of the first ones where I was like, oh, this is an Indian woman, and she's bisexual, and is sort of, like, unapologetic about it. That's fucking rad. And then I think the one that I can remember recently that I thought was just so funny and well done was Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. I thought it was so funny, like, how that character, like, came out. And I don't remember remember their name, but... um, Daryl, is that I, his name? Maybe, yeah, yeah. It was her boss at the law firm, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Her boss. Yeah. I thought that was really like interesting. I'm trying to think. Um, I think the first one that I remember. <laughs> this is embarrassing. The first one that I remember um, was Marissa on the OC. <laughs> oh, I watched season one, but I don't even remember the oh. bisexual element. Okay, spoiler. Marissa dies in a car crash, but then comes <gasps> out of the car crash 
with no no scars. Literally, she she comes up pristine. Like Misha Barton just looks beautiful, and like her eyes are closed. It's just it's like very pretty. But she dies, and before she dies, she has like a she has a relationship with a woman that is played by Olivia Wilde. It was like one of Olivia Wilde's first like bigger things, and that was the first time that I think I was really like. Ex- exposed to like a fluid character in any way and not because you they don't really label marissa it just it's just a relationship that she has and i think that's really really like wonderful there's other like uk shows like phoebe laura bridge's first show crashing i think was also there was the two men on there and there was also an indian character figuring out like they were both figuring out sort of their sexualities i think like there's also yeah, go oh, no, go ahead, go ahead. Well, there's also I May Destroy You I was you literally now. about to say that, actually. Uh, yeah. <laughs> you finished it? Which, yeah, uh, amazing. I mean, it's one of the best things I've seen in a long time. And I want to work with her. Like, she is yeah. just... That was that show was stunning. I Yeah. I, that's goals. That I, I <laughs> hope to even make a show, like, an ounce of, like, how good that was, so... Totally. Yeah. And, the, and the ways they were exploring sexuality and fluidity and tying mm-hmm. that into sexual assault and other kinds of trauma and like other you know other types of sexual experiences that are not assault but are unwanted like that Mm -hmm. I thought was such a great representation of what a lot of people go through and a lot of queer people go through and it's these things are like hard to categorize and define and they dealt with all that in a very Very realistic way and I loved that like it was a show also about a very specific community and it was very unapologetic that, and there's so much in that show that yeah. is not explained. Mm-hmm. And there's so much language that is spoken that like, doesn't have subtitles or food or religion or culture that's thrown in there that we just have to infer yeah. and um, know that like the audience that's witnessing it, that's a part of that community, I'm sure identifies with it. And then I think that's so beautiful to tie that also into this yeah. story. That's about like, sexual assault and trauma and consent and um yeah yeah no i thought it was wonderful i thought it yeah, was so good same. is there anything in like mainstream media and these shows like that you think people are getting wrong about bisexuality or fluid sexuality that like you tried to do differently or you would hope that that people do differently as they learn more yeah i mean i know for me i haven't seen a kind of mainstream South Asian bisexual character ever, mm-hmm. like in terms of like on mainstream American television. Maybe I'm forgetting. Maybe I there 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 might be, and I could be misspeaking, but I haven't really seen anything that like spoke to me. And so, I think for a lot of queer characters, um, what I hope to see, and I think we've moved past this point of like having their queerness be the only thing that is talked about. I think that that's the thing that I think people get wrong. I think the queerness or whatever their sexuality is should just be a part of the entire person. And I think that the actual character in human that's like behind the body or inside the body is actually should be the focal point and like what their triumphs and struggles are. I think that's what I think a lot of like queer characters are just not that we don't get to delve into that it's always about their sexuality one thing that i was really cognizant of too is that like a lot of queer characters are just like hyper sexualized in this way that can kind of get uncomfortable and voyeuristic and it's it's just like you're just sort of watching eye candy do things and there's not really any depth to the characters and what I was trying to really, really focus on was, yes, I'm talking about sex work, but also 
take that old concept, twist it, but also showing the complexities of what it could be to be a sex worker and like societal pressures. But ultimately, ultimately at the end of the day, as I have like an entire deck of things that I want to develop, I think about two things. One, what don't I get to see my, my wonderfully talented South Asian friends do? And then what South Asian centric stories are not being told and why aren't they being told? And so that's sort of my jumping off point in terms of that. And so this was, this was the beginning of it. Awesome. That's a great note to end on. Cool. Well, thank you so much for being here. This is a really interesting conversation and good luck with insomnia and all the other projects you're working on and getting through the rest of this pandemic. Uh, God, that's all I can ask for. Just get through the pandemic. Like just be safe, be healthy. Yep. One thing at a time. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much. This is lovely. Yeah. Awesome. Two Bye Guys is created and hosted by Alex Boyan and me, Rob Cohen. Our logo art was designed by Caitlin Weinman, and our music was composed and created by Ross Mincer. Season 2 is executive produced and edited by me, Rob Cohen, and produced by Alex Boyd and Moxie Pung, with support from IFP. Thanks for listening to Two Bye Guys. Bye.